Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. McKinley Wright I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Before we start talking buffs, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering 20% off your purchase on their website and their app. Use code BSN20 to save 20% and have it delivered to your door. Let's jump into the show. So I'm sure most of you guys are aware, but today was the first practice of fall camp. It's a big day. Football's back. We're less than a month away from the season opening game, August 30th, between Colorado and Colorado State in Denver. Um, I just want to talk a little bit to start off the show about what I learned at camp, and then we'll move into some questions later on throughout the show like we always do. So key takeaways, we don't get to see practice. We uh, There's a fence, inside the fence there's like some, some dark material so you can't see through it. And we just wait outside the fence by the little podium they have set up for Mel Tucker and whoever else is speaking that day to talk after practice. So we stand around there, chat, wait for, the, for everybody to open it up and start come out and letting us talk to people. So the point is, we don't actually get to see any football. 
I think uh, we can kind of peek over the fence a little bit and see when they're doing the kicking drills, whether the field goals are going through the uprights or whether they aren't going through the uprights. But that's really all we have an angle to see during practice. So we kind of have to go off of what we hear from the coaches. And what we heard from Mel Tucker today was positive. I think the the first player he named after practice was Steven Montez. He said that he was impressed with Steven's control of the offense and was happy with where he's at right there. So I think there may not be anything better he could have said. I think Buffs fans, that's the one thing you want to hear is that Steven Montez is in good shape. And that's exactly what Mel Tucker said. And that's probably the big thing to know. There are also some whispers, though, that a couple of the transfers are performing well. Showed out in the first day at camp. One is SMU transfer safety Mikhail Anu. Uh, the other is a left tackle, likely Arlington Hambright, who transferred in after starting five games, playing in six maybe for Oklahoma State last year. He's a senior, and he took the podium today to talk about his transition and how he feels. So that's a good sign. Uh, that's something that the Buffs really need to see. He's uh, Mel Tucker said he's long, he's athletic. I mean, those are the two words you want to hear when uh, a, a coach is talking about a left tackle. Those Those are the skills that you're looking for, just being long, lean, athletic, not there because you take up a lot of space, but there because you're a good athlete who can keep defenders from getting to the quarterback. I think those are probably the big takeaways from today. Uh, also, I, I got a chance to talk to Jalen Sammy for, I mean, we probably talked for 10 minutes and he made some interesting points. I, br I brought up that Nate was saying uh, actually on our podcast that it's a, it's a complex scheme and Jalen said he wasn't having trouble picking up on it and that he uh, he thought that there might be a couple guys who were having trouble, but that that number wasn't remarkably large, which again, it's there's still 24 practices now before the buffs actually take the field in a meaningful game. So that's that's not a bad place to start. He also said going up against this offensive line, that they they have better technique already. That uh, the offensive linemen he's playing up playing against just have quicker hands. They're in the right spot, and it's making it tougher for him to get to the passer. Again, that's what you want to hear. They bring in uh, Kavlovich, the new coach, uh, Kavlov the offensive line coach, and he apparently, at least from the very very early reports, is doing his job and doing it well. Those are some important notes. Those are some really important notes. Uh, this was also the first time Mel Tucker got to see LaVisca Chenault on the field. LaVisca sat out of spring practices as he recovered from, I think it was the toe surgery that kept him out of those. And uh, I bet you guys aren't surprised to hear this, but Mel Tucker was impressed by LaVisca Chenault. There's a lot of good stuff. Uh, it sounds like coming out of it. I think my favorite thing to hear was that in talking to the other media guys who are out there, their takes on the team are about in line with my takes on the team, the strengths, the weaknesses, uh, who to watch out for, which means I haven't been just making stuff up for you guys on the podcast, which is what 
I was really hoping I would hear. Does make me think that I might have to get a little weird with some of these so I don't just sound like everybody else. But, you know, one week in, I think this is our sixth show, ninth show, something like that. We're in good shape. I'm having a lot of fun. Hopefully, you guys are having a lot of fun too because this is just getting started. We have a bunch of content coming your way. And most importantly, there's a bunch of football on the way. We finally get to watch these guys play. There's the open practice on Saturday. Likely the only open practice before the Buffs take on the Rams, August 30th. And that's kind of what everything is building toward at this point. I know it's the first day of camp, but you get out there and everybody wants to talk about Saturday. Because Saturday is the day that we get to put our eyes on the team and say, hey, this offensive line can play. Jalen Sammy can play. Or, or maybe they can't. And that's something else that we need to know early on. Mel seemed happy. Uh, he said he expects a big leap in day one to day two. Um, it looks like uh, there was some significant conditioning, at least in the guys that I had a chance to talk to. They were saying that end of practice got a little rough, um, not in terms of quality of play, but just in terms of the coaches wanted to make these guys run a little. Uh, talking to Jalen Sammy, who's about twice my size, he was almost bent in half just talking to me, uh, telling me a bunch of cool stories, a bunch of stories that you'll see on the BSN website here soon. Uh, good first day, though. Seemed like everybody was positive. Everybody was pretty confident. Again, it's this theme of, for some reason, this whole transition is going a lot more smoothly than I think a lot of people expected. And... You know, it's a new coach, so you don't know exactly how things are going to go. He only retains three assistants from last year. That's a lot of turnover. But seems like it's working. And we'll get to know more in the next couple days, specifically Saturday. I, I know I'm coming back to this a lot, but I am so excited to actually see the team on the field. Um, We have a bunch of good questions today, so we're going to... Uh, Stop this first segment just a little bit short and start jumping into some of these and I'll have some hopefully interesting responses because these are some interesting questions. They're questions that I think are important that we talk about as we get into the season. It's time to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado, You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale, but for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. 
What I like about Brosset Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend, and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. All right, we're moving along here on the uh, BSN Buffs podcast, first day of camp, and we have some incredible questions that I'm really excited to answer for you guys. First of all, uh, the first one comes in from B Mixer. He says, you're doing a good job, and I look forward to hearing your takes once you've been around the team. Coverage of all CU sports would be appreciated. I'm really excited to hear that because I've been pushing hard to try to get more coverage going. Like I said, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, whether it's, you know, maybe it's a weekly roundup on here. I like that idea that uh, was sent in yesterday. Maybe it's a weekly written roundup. Maybe uh, maybe we can get some more regular coverage than that. At the very least, I'd like to go check out a bunch of these other games that are going on here. I think uh, August 22nd is the first home soccer game. I think August 30th is the first home volleyball game. Obviously, that's the same day as the uh, Rocky Mountain Showdown, so I don't know if we can make it to that. But I do plan on getting to as many of these other CU sporting events as I can get to and hopefully come up with at least a little something to share with you guys whenever I do. Um, but yeah, let's let's try to get as much coverage of these other sports as we can. In the past, I know that at BSN Denver, coverage of the other sports hasn't gotten as much attention from our readers. And so that's one of the reasons that we're initially planning to stay away from it a little bit. But if we get clicks on stories about the women's basketball team, then, I mean, we'll do it. And one of the cool things about BSN Denver is that we aren't really based on clicks. It's about subscribers, but clicks is just a good way of knowing how many of our subscribers want to read the content we're giving them. So... That's where we are right now. I'm pushing hard for as much coverage of all the different sports as I can. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, Continuing with the question, can you ask or talk about how this defense is going to be different than last year and find out about how they use the star linebacker? The star linebacker is something that I love. I'm really excited to see how they use it. Obviously, Davion Taylor's the guy who... We expect to take that starting job as star linebacker. The star has an interesting history, and it's a history that makes you wonder why every team doesn't do this. Just because when you run through the names of the guys who've helped influence this position, they're all the guys that you'd want picking out defensive schemes and changing the way teams think about playing defense. So the star actually comes from... Bill Belichick. So, I mean, off to a good start right there. The idea, his idea behind adding the star is that it makes it more clear for players to call it a star. So, in the base formation, pretty much every team will have their front seven. Some combination, like for the buffs, three defensive linemen, four linebackers. Then behind that, you have four defensive backs. You move into the nickel, 
and that means five defensive backs nickel five you get it um and that's where belichick kind of tweaks it that fifth defensive back who comes in sometimes teams call him like a slot corner sometimes they call him a nickel sometimes it's a third safety in like a big nickel package he decided to start calling it a star because it's a different role than the other more traditional roles so the star is a guy who is a great athlete can uh get after the quarterback can make plays in the run game and also has some cover skills usually he isn't a burner he isn't a guy who can keep up with guys on the deep routes but he can stick with a slot receiver in close he has that good lateral athleticism the reason they don't just call him a slot cornerback or usually this is kind of a role that's a hybrid safety linebacker too. I mean, in the NFL, Tyron Matthew was the guy who kind of turned this into a big thing in the NFL where you just take him, put him at a linebacker spot, and it just totally changes the defense. Like you're a little lighter in the box having a safety instead of a linebacker, but you add significantly more speed. And when you're playing teams that pass the ball a lot, that can be very valuable. The reason that he calls it a star is that it's a different position than linebacker or safety or even slot cornerback. It's its own thing. And so when they wanted to do drills to have guys who played this position uh, learn how to play it, they didn't want to say linebackers who do this and safeties who do this come over into this little area and we'll work with you. They just created a whole new position, which makes it much more clear what your role is. You are a star. You aren't a hybrid safety linebacker, if that makes sense. It's just a th it just adds clarity. So that's kind of the origin of the star. It's become popularized because Bill Belichick created it. He's the one that changed the name. And then Nick Saban, who coached under him, I believe that was in Cleveland, uh, took it and ran with it. And that's one of his, uh, w one of the unique pieces of his defenses that he's created in the SEC, specifically at Alabama. They use this star role, which came from Belichick. And you've seen a lot of guys uh, who've pulled that into their own systems. They've coached under him, and it's kind of branching out um, as the way, in, in the same way that uh, schemes often do. You know, obviously, this is uh, Mel Tucker, who coached under Saban and then coached at Georgia, uh, again, as defensive coordinator under Kirby Smart, who was Saban's defensive coordinator, who also worked with the star. So he's seen a lot of this and he knows how it's best used. So it'll be interesting to see how exactly it works. So usually, usually you use the star instead of a strong side linebacker. Um, the downside being there, he's lined up. If, if there's a tight end in the formation on the tight end side of the field. And so he might get pushed around if they run that way. If they run right, tight ends li lined up right. And this is a guy who's typically a little bit smaller, like Davion Taylor. He isn't quite built like Nate Landman. It's, uh, it, it opens things up to be a little dangerous in the running game. But it adds a lot of versatility because a guy like Davion Taylor, you can have him stick to that tight end. You can have him play zone coverage right there. He's he's still like a very good athlete and solid in the running game. Plus, he can rush the passer. 
And so instead of that strong linebacker spot, um, it's almost if if he starts on the field, it's almost as if there's a they're starting in the nickel, if that makes sense, because he is that hybrid guy, even though it isn't actually a nickel because he isn't a fifth defensive back coming on. He's just halfway between a fifth defensive back and a fourth linebacker. So it's almost like a four and a half DB set. Um, and it just adds more speed. And in the Pac-12, you need more speed. And across college football, you need more speed. That's that's the star linebacker. Um, how exactly it's going to be used? Don't know for sure. It's probably just some combination of those same three ways that um, it has been used. Pass rushing, uh, coverage, and then tertiarily as a run stopper because that isn't what the skill set that a star typically has is best at so we'll see uh mel tucker has seen all of the different things you can do with a star during his time in the sec at alabama and at georgia so we don't he he will pull his favorite pieces of all of that and use that in this colorado defense and we don't know exactly what pieces it'll be, but it's going to be interesting to find out because Davion Taylor is a weapon, and it'll just be interesting to see how Mel Tucker uses him. That's my uh, star linebacker rant. I'm really glad we got this question because it's something that I love talking about. But uh, he continues, uh, I think it would be interesting to have a podcast on how the athletic department makes its money and how the programs are support supported in compared to other Pac-12 teams. There is a belief that both basketball teams uh, are under-supported by the department. I have heard that before. I've heard that, uh, you know, one complaint I've heard from people close to the basketball team is that things like social media use by the Buffs Athletic Department focuses on football and that kind of stuff even is disproportionately skewed toward football rather than uh, all of the other sports that are going on. I haven't looked at the numbers. I think I said on here like a week or so ago that at some point I am going to get my hands on the Buffs athletic budget, see where the income comes from, see where it goes. And then, yeah, it'd be interesting to compare that with other Pac-12 schools because, you know, a school like Stanford, for example, that has so many different sports. I mean, like gymnastics, they have like rowing teams, all this kind of stuff that the baseball, another one that the buffs don't have. And so there would be more money spread out just because they have more sports, but they're also very successful in those sports. They're winning national championships and all these obscure things that honestly, half of them I might not even know exist. So they are investing there. I don't know whether it's more than Colorado invests. Um, I would guess that their budget is significantly larger because they do have more alumni. Uh, it's like classic big school that's been good at football. Same USC being maybe even a better example. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I would guess that CU isn't in the top half in terms of football budget or budget for other sports. But yeah, I'm going to get my hands on a budget and see what exactly it does look like. And I'm sure you could find something quickly that says, here's what all the Pac-12 teams spend. But 
when we get into this, I'd like to do it a little more deeply instead of just going through it in a three minute. They spent this many dollars. Everybody else spent this many dollars. Um, that's it for B Mixer's question. So we're going to move along to Elrod. He said, I really enjoyed the podcast with Andre. Great to hear about the conference quarterbacks, matchups as a whole. Keep up the great work, Henry. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, glad to hear that people like talking with on or listening to me talk with Andre because I love talking to Andre. He has, I mean, I have worked hard, really hard to uh, get a grasp on what's going on with Buffs football. And I'm really confident in my takes at this point, even significantly more than I was even a week ago. Around the Pac-12, though, still a work in progress. Media Day helps. Keeping the Pac-12 network on helps. Listening to some college football podcasts in my free time definitely helps. We're building up. Talking to Andre about college football just makes me so much smarter about it. And if we can knock out a podcast doing it, then that's incredible. And I'm glad that you like listening to him because he's going to be around a lot, both during the season and in the off season, because he has a lot he can contribute to this show. Um, overall, I appreciate all the content that you've put out in your brief time on the Buffs Beat. I can't get enough. I especially like the variety of topics and themes, and I know that it'll come in handy down the road when access to information from the team is limited to a post-practice media scrum with Coach Mel and maybe one or two players at best. Yep, definitely. Um, it's kind of been interesting. A couple of the guys uh, who cover the buffs were saying, you know, this is actually better media access this so far with... Uh, mel than it has been under mcintyre or even before that so hopefully that keeps up hopefully we keep getting a bunch of access to players um i'm gonna keep going with this comment because i think he gets deeper into this he says um which brings me to my question do you think the schematic benefit of the fort knox approach to public access to practices outweighs the belief of exposure for programs and the ability to have a more informed fan base I understand as a media member, you're probably biased one way toward the question. More access would equal more content, but I ask because I notice you're good with X's and O's and may have an appreciation for what coaching staffs can keep behind closed doors. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Hope to say hi to Al and yourself at the O for practice on Saturday. I would love to say hi on Saturday and I'd love to talk some buffs. Um, yeah, we'll be there. Maybe... Maybe we can find a way. If, if there are enough of you guys who would want to come say hi, maybe we can find a spot to sit for a couple minutes. I don't know. Just kind of spitballing ideas. But, uh, yeah, I have a lot of takes on that approach to media because... So, I mean, I just graduated from journalism school, obviously. I did a research paper on this, and so I could actually talk for an hour about the pros and cons and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't want to waste too much of your time, but here's my overall thought. Here's, here's a story actually that kind of sums it up. Um, I was covering the big sky conference basketball tournament. Uh, Montana Grizzlies won. You guys probably know that because they showed up in your bracket in the March madness pools. And the only way you're doing that in the Big Sky Conference is if you win the Big Sky Conference. There's never an at-large bid, and there probably shouldn't be. But I was talking to one of my good friends in media in Missoula who was also at that tournament in Boise. 
and he's a guy who's been around for a while and I really respect and taught me a lot of things about covering college sports. And when the Grizzlies went up to the podium, you know, the coach, the two players, after they win the conference tournament, they talked for their 15 minutes and that was it. And I was talking to my friend after who said, you know, if that was Montana State who had just won that tournament, they would be inviting everybody in the media, all 30 of us, they'd be saying, you know, do, do you need anything else? Do you want to talk to anybody else? You know, there's, there's so many guys who'd love to talk to you. I mean, I, even if you don't have anything you think you need off the top of your head, why don't you just like come with me down to the locker room, check out what's going out, going on down there, you know, take a couple clips for Twitter. If there's anybody you want to talk to, talk to them. And I mean, he's, he said they have their entire sports information department up there. They'd have their athletic director up there saying like, Hey, you know, how about, how about you just come down here and check it out? Like maybe talk to some guys because they push really, really hard for media coverage. Um, and Montana on the other hand is total, total lockdown. They, they look at reporters as a threat instead of as a tool. Um, and that's, that's kind of where it all comes down to because reporters are tools. Uh, okay. Well, there was, there was a slip up, but, but reporters can be used as a tool, but they also can pose kind of a threat and it's having a good sports information department that understands what is threatening and how they can be used. And, and more than anything that a happy reporter is much less likely to dig up some dirt and publish it than one that's upset. So I obviously fall on the side of open things up. People want to know it, it's a better use of reporters time. I mean, you know, I could say since, since media starts at 1115. And so I'll usually talk to guys until noon up in Boulder during camp. I have 45 minutes of work to do. They could keep me busy for another three hours by letting me watch all of camp, all of the camp practices. And that would keep me away from talking to who knows who that could have some dirt on somebody that they want to get out, that the athletics department is covering something up. And I now have three hours more free time that I'm supposed to use because um, traditional newspaper reporters still generally get put onto 40 hour per week work limits, even though they're salaried, the rule will be, I know this is a big story, but you need to stop. You've hit 40 hours this week already. One strategy that college uh, athletics uh, departments could take is just using up as many of those 40 hours as possible, showing them what's happening. And for me, I'm not really out to get dirt on anybody. That's not my job at this point. My my job is just to tell you guys what's going on and help you become better fans, whether you're somebody who catches half the games but wants to jump in just so you know a little bit more for those half or somebody who reads every buff story that comes up and you just want me to get you as deep into that uh, locker room as possible. That's my goal. My goal isn't to say, hey, this guy... Uh, got an extra couple bucks from a donor he shouldn't have let's shut the whole athletics program down and there are reporters who look like that because it gets your name out there espn picks up the story but that's really not my interest or bsn's interest we just want to get you as much content as possible and so when it comes down to access a lot of it has to do with the type of content that we produce 
So for example, if I'm writing a story, I can either say uh, the headline is why Mel Tucker was hired to be the Buffs next head coach. And they can let me talk to the athletic director and they can let me talk to the assistant coaches and they can let me talk to the board of regents and they can let me talk to the players. And I'll come out with this beautifully reported story that'll say exactly why all these people think that Mel Tucker is the right guy. And if they don't want to let me talk to these people because they're worried they'll slip up and say, oh, we actually kind of like this guy better, but you know, then they can block me out and I'll still write a similar story, but it's going to be something like why I think Mel Tucker was uh, hired to be the Buffs next head coach. And that story is going to be me saying uh, all of my thoughts, which might be off base. It might be because you know, I say he's he's going to bring in somebody who's going to run a more interesting offense, and that's what they wanted to get away from. They just didn't like how the offense was run last year, and I could be wrong. I could change the narrative, whereas letting me in and letting me tell the story the right way means that the right message is going to get out there, and if they wanted to, they could tell all these people to tell me something, and they could totally control the narrative. It just gives them a level of control when they work with us that they don't get when they shut us out and say, go do some blogging. Um, okay, this is already going on a lot longer than I want it to. But I do want to finish by saying the Buffs media policy is not bad uh, on our end. It could be a lot worse. I know, I mean, I was talking to some of the guys today who have friends who cover UCLA, for example, another Pac-12 school, so it would be comparable and they say the access we get is significantly better. There's no way they're having guys out here to talk with us. There's no way you can just request. I said I wanted to talk to Mustafa Johnson, and I wanted to talk to Jalen Sammy, and the the sports information people said, yep, go right ahead. They'll come out here after practice. That's pretty great for Power 5 football. Uh, we get to talk to Mel every day. We've got a couple other guys up at the podium. That's not bad. That does not happen at a lot of big schools. On the other hand, watching practice would be awesome. Even even at Colorado State, they were saying the TV guys who are out there were saying during the 15 minutes of practice where they're just going through warm-ups, going through individual drills, things that video wouldn't expose what the Buffs' plan is, they're allowed to go in there and shoot some B-roll so that they can use it on the news and have some just like footage playing while they talk about it. When they do that for the Rams... They aren't even allowed to use sound on the cameras because they're worried that calls will get out and people will try to decode those. It's a little bit paranoid. Who knows if teams would take advantage of all this stuff if the practices were open. Up in Montana during camp, they'd say media can just come hang out, come watch. Why not? There are only five of you who, who show up here regularly, so if any of what happens gets out, we can just kick you out and never let you come back. And it's pretty easy to find out. Today, there were probably 15, 20 people, so you can't police it quite as well. But all in all, things aren't so bad. They're, they have secondary interview periods um, from, I think, like four to seven, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. If, if a student athlete wants to talk to you, a football player wants to talk to you, then you can talk to them then if they can't do it after practice or if you need more time than after practice. That's something Montana doesn't have. And I, I appreciate that. And hopefully, hopefully it opens up because it makes my job easier. It means more content gets to you guys. I know I'm not trying to bring down the University of Colorado and I'm not trying to 
sell the plays that Mel Tucker is having them run to opposing coaches. But who knows? Maybe if they let us do that, somebody would. It's a balance. I can't complain about where the buffs are with it. And that was way longer than I wanted to talk about that. But I do think that that's another really interesting topic, which is why I said I ran through these questions earlier and they're pretty great questions. Um, we're going to go to break real quick. And when I come back, I'm going to answer just a few more questions and that'll be the final segment. And then I'll talk to you again after I will not, I not after I watch practice tomorrow, but after I, talk to people who were at practice tomorrow what's up guys ryan konigsberg here and i gotta tell you about the blake street tavern it's my favorite sports bar in town as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there it's where i watched super bowl 48 it's where i watched cu win a pac-12 basketball championship back in the day uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event it's the biggest bar in town i always joke you could land a 747 in there it was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward and anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect, just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Welcome back in third segment of this Thursday edition of the BSN Buffs podcast. First day of camp, at least first practice. The players had to report yesterday. Reports were it went pretty well. They could say whatever they want because we couldn't watch. But I still got to talk to the guys I want to talk to, so I'm not complaining. That sums up the entire second segment. Um, moving on to the next question, which comes in from Michael Harrison, who says... Loved Andre being on the pod. Changing pace with guests is always a great way to keep the pod fresh, and I always like hearing new takes. That's what we try to do. That's why we want to rotate so many guests in. As much fun as it'd be, like, if you guys listen to the Broncos podcast, having Zach and Ryan just go back and forth. You get to know who they are. You get in on the sense of humor. They have great chemistry, so the jokes land, and it all just comes across super clean. Bringing new people on is a little unpredictable, but you get a lot of new views a lot of new takes and that's why we're doing it this way uh he continues and the impromptu hot one segment with brandon was hysterical in terms of dating apps in denver stay off tinder denver tinder is wild and not in a good way interesting uh i'd recommend hinge seems like it's much more consistent if you're looking for an actual first date that's good to know i i uh I, I mean, I don't, I'm not like a diehard Tinder person. Like I'll download it for like three weeks and then delete it for two months because nothing good comes from it. I met like one girl ever through Tinder and we still talk like she's super cool, but for four years of like off and on and off and on Tinder, not, not, not great at all. Also, I've heard hinges a lot of work. You have to like message people first and then they can message back if they want and maybe maybe the fact that I'm not willing to put that much work in means that I'm probably not close to finding a girlfriend or a date or any of that anyway. But this this is turning into a weird podcast and honestly like a little bit pathetic. That's where we're at though. Um, on to some football. He says, my question is, what do you think of Tyson Summers and Jay Johnson? Uh, you mentioned that CU is running Mel Tucker's defense. How much of a say will Summers have on how the defense operates? 
Um, and we'll pause through in his question right there to talk about that. So Tyson Summers comes in. Uh, he was a quality control coach last year under Mel Tucker at Georgia. Defensive quality control coach. So he's probably going to run that same Georgia scheme, that same scheme that came from the Nick Saban, Bill Belichick tree, the same scheme that Mel Tucker has run for the, at least the last few years. Just makes sense. Um, especially because it's fairly similar to the defense that the Buffs run last year. It's still that three, four um, base look. It's still not overly demanding of the middle linebackers and coverage, which is important because that's really the the one weakness I see on this defense. I mean, there there are holes, but they're holes that you expect. You know, third cornerback, somebody's got to step up. One of these safeties probably has to step up. But you kind of know what you have at inside linebacker. Obviously, not seeing John Van Deese that much makes it a little confusing. But you know that their strength is in stopping the run and not coverage. So you'd expect that to stay the say this the same. We talked a little bit before about how head coaches need to learn how to coach the coaches. I think that's a Vance Joseph phrase from when he was with the Broncos. So maybe that isn't what we need to be saying. But that's the idea: is that your head coach is a CEO. He isn't hands-on. He isn't having the time to spend with each individual, coaching them up, implementing the schemes. Um, this is the one area where I really worry about that with Mel Tucker, whether he trusts Tyson Summers, and it's not even trust Tyson Summers, but he uh, whether whether he lets Tyson Summers do what he wants to do there or whether he's whether Mel Tucker's two hands on they both come from the same scheme and so their ideas really shouldn't be all that different they should be trying to do the same things um which is get after the quarterback and play tight coverage outside to free up more rushers I'm not sure what that balance of power looks like I'm not sure I don't even actually I don't know that I've heard who's going to be calling the plays I just kind of assumed Mel Tucker because that seems like the kind of thing that he would be brought in here to do you know because he can contribute that I don't know what the balance is going to look like um, and that's one of those things that we'll just have to wait and see he goes on to ask and what style of offense does Johnson want to run Will it be similar to what we've seen last year with Chev or something entirely different? That's a tough question because pinning down what exa exactly the offensive scheme last year was different. It kind of took concepts from different things, but blended them together in a way that didn't work out. So instead of trying to compare them, which would be kind of tough just because it was a weird offense, like I've said a few times, it's just, throw the ball right at the line of scrimmage or throw it deep and still probably not throw it deep as much as you probably should. Johnson has coached all over the place. Most recently, like Summers, as a quality control coach at Georgia. He was an offensive quality control coach. And so I think that a lot of what he tries to do will be similar to what Georgia has done. Now, if you think through Georgia's playmakers over the last few years, a lot of them were running backs. I mean, DeAndre Swift is still there. Nick Chubb's another big name. Uh, Sony Michelle. And sure, they have Jake Fromm, who's really good. But most of what they've done has been built off of running the football. And that's something that I think will stay the same. And that's part of the reason that 
how this offensive line develops, whether these young running backs, Fontenot and Mangum, are ready to be playmakers is going to be really interesting and really crucial to determining what happens with the Buffs this season. I think that ideally, ideally, I think Johnson wants to get opposing defenses to have to stack the box. He wants to run mostly out of shotgun, mostly out of the pistol. And we've heard reports that the pistol offense that Georgia kind of used a little bit last year uh, could be very similar to what the Buffs try to use this year. So we have those ideas that they aren't going to try to put Steven Montez under center. One reason being that I, I expect it to be heavy on RPOs and it's just a lot easier to run those when the quarterback's head is up looking at the defense the entire play gives him a chance to make the read and either hand the ball off or throw the ball. That's kind of the base. I think there's going to be, you know, zone running, let the running backs carry the workload, but then also run some. I I think that they'll be in a lot of three wide receiver sets, maybe even four wide receiver sets and building off of that running game, letting, letting the receivers run downfield run those intermediate routes that I've been talking so much about on this podcast that we really haven't seen much of. That's, that's kind of the overview of what I expect. But again, Jay Johnson has been part of a lot of FBS schools. He has a great track record. And it also means that he's picked up a lot of different ideas along the way. And so we don't really know exactly which ones are going to be what he uses the most here in Boulder. Again, both these two things, the schemes on offense, the schemes on defense, this is all guessing based on the little sound bites we've gotten throughout spring camp and now and where these guys come from and what they've run in the past. We really won't know until we see on the see them on the field and hopefully we get some sort of idea on Saturday. Next question coming in from Matt Cisneros. Okay. I have my pain points with Montez just as much as the next guy, but there's no way that dime Spanos saying Montez threw in the Michigan Michigan game is his career high point, And everything since has been a letdown. It was a reverse flea flicker to George Frazier who caught maybe 10 balls in his career. It was placed really well back shoulder between three defenders, but I think it being back shoulder got him turned around, but his game winner to Visca versus Nebraska last year was just as good a placement and was, well, to Visca. But at the high point, it's got to be going into Outson and taking down Oregon, right? What do you think Montez's high point has been so far in his career? That has to be the one that jumps to mind. Beating Oregon, that was his first college football game. He steps in and beats Oregon. I don't know how you could top that. So I think you got the other option too, beating Nebraska on that bomb to LaVisca who, I mean, double covered might be a bit. No, I think you could call that double covered. He, both defenders were kind of behind him, but he dropped that in front of LaVisca and Visca brought it in for the touchdown. I think in terms of a single play, that's the one because it's a difficult pass. It's a deep downfield pass. Uh, and it's a game-winning touchdown against a rival. 
talking a little more about Nebraska just before we move on, because I thought this was interesting. When I was talking to Jalen Sammy today, I asked him, you know, a lot of, a lot of the older buffs fans have said like young people, college students at Boulder don't understand what Nebraska means. And he said that that's kind of true that when he got here, he didn't understand the Nebraska thing. He was like, yeah, it's another game until he started hearing people talk about it. And it just kind of built, you know, in the year before they actually played when, uh, Buff's coaching staff was bringing guys in who were talking about what beating Nebraska meant back in the day. And that kind of got him hyped up. And at this point, he feels like the guys kind of understand that Nebraska rivalry a lot better than they did two years ago, which I don't know, was just interesting to hear to me. Um, Back to the question, though, in terms of a play that bombed a LaVisca, how can you beat it? In terms of a game stepping into the lineup to beat Oregon. Yeah. I think those have to be the two. I do think that there's a good chance that this is the year that he kind of breaks through and changes what he's known, how, how buffs fans remember him because I mean, Cephalufau took that huge jump in his senior year. I think Steven Montez can do that same thing. The question is just whether he does it or not. I think that they're going to be highlight plays. I think there's going to be highlight games. And this is going to be the year that Buffs fans really remember him for. Just because, I mean, five and seven seasons aren't that memorable anyway. Like, it's pretty easy to take a step up from there. But for now, yeah, Nebraska, Oregon, easy answers. Last question coming in from B. Bechter, 22. Happy first day of fall camp. Thanks for the coverage, Henry. If you had to guess, who is who has more receptions this season? The fourth receiver... Tony Brown, most likely, or the starting tight end, Jalen Harris, most likely, who has more tackles, Aaron Maddox or Mark Perry. Thanks and go buffs. Those are tough questions. It's so hard to say that a tight end is going to be for, or get more catches than the fourth receiver because tight ends have caught 18 balls over the last three seasons. That's six per year. That's every other game. A tight end makes a catch. It's absurd. Uh, Jalen Harris, you know, I could see it. I, I like him. He's transferring in. I think that he could be a guy who steps into the starting lineup and we say, wow, the Buffs finally have a tight end and a tight end that they'll likely use. And I kind of cheated on this question. I don't know if it's cheating. It's researching. But I went back and looked at Georgia's offense last year just to see how their catches broke down and kind of use that to influence uh, the decision I made. So leading receiver was Riley Ridley, 43 catches, 559 yards. Uh, he's a wide receiver. Number two was Mecole Hardman, 35 catches, 543 yards. He's a receiver. But their third receiver was Isaac Nada, a tight end, caught 30 balls for 430 yards. So that would lead you to believe that tight end is going to be used he's the third receiver there are two more receivers before the next tight end but i would guess that this year is the year a receiver a tight end finally helps out just because the scheme allows for it assuming that uh jay johnson is pulling from what uh was done at georgia last season so 
that's just so hard to say though because I am high on Tony Brown. I do think that he is going to be a huge name in Boulder. I just don't know if he breaks through this year. And and I've, I'm more comfortable in that take thinking back to LaVisca Chenault being totally unknown before last season. After seeing him play last season, there's no doubt in my mind that he could have been a factor the year before. Maybe he would have been like, you know, a third, fourth receiver, but it seems like he could have at least pulled in some catches, like gotten a couple hundred yards, grabbed a couple touchdowns because he's just so talented. Um, and there's just been that long list of Buffs receivers who, I don't know if they've underperformed, but they haven't gotten the opportunity that you'd expect them to get. And I, I would assume that that happens to Tony Brown again. And that opens things up for Jalen Harris at tight end. That's my answer. Who has more tackles, Aaron Maddox or Mark Perry? That's another good question. I'm really high on Mark Perry. I'm not sure if, I mean, he's a true freshman. It's going to be scary starting him. Aaron Maddox has been around. He's a junior. Um, he, uh, and I think he's, he's as close as I want to say he can be to being locked into a starting job. And that's the thing about Mark Perry is that he is a freshman and there are some upperclassmen behind him who could be pushing for his starting spot. So I think that makes picking Aaron Maddox a little bit of a safer option. Uh, side note on Aaron Maddox. I, I heard him speaking with another reporter today while I was waiting for one of my interviews and I was really impressed. That guy can talk and he talks in a way uh, that's very engaging and very lively. And he's, he's been added to my short list of guys who in a dream world I can get on this podcast because I think he'd be a lot of fun just to talk to about things other than football, which is what you talk about in a standard interview, just kind of chatting on a podcast. I think he'd be really interesting. Impressed me. He was a little smaller than I expected, but you know, I guess that happens. Listed 6'1", 185. Eh, eh, I'm not so sure. So I think Aaron Maddox is the safe pick here, like I said. Like Mark Perry, no guarantee that he's the guy this year. Um, and that's it for the questions today. I'll be back here tomorrow after Friday's practice and we'll talk more buffs send in your questions i'm really excited to answer them this was a great batch of questions like we hit we hit all these points like we got into the deep stuff like uh you know the college football media relationship and we also hit the like x's and o's with what what is a star linebacker how is the star linebacker work and we also got the fun stuff like who has more tackles aromatics mark perry chance for some takes, chance for some quick perspective on the team. Love it. Thank you as always for sending those in. Send in a couple more tomorrow and we'll chat about those. I hopefully hopefully you'll get a little more I'm almost more attention from uh Mel Tucker and everybody just because there won't be as many reporters on the second day of practice as there are on the first day. And who knows, maybe I can pull in some more information for you guys. Overall, though, solid first day. Excited for tomorrow. Excited for football to start. Also super excited for the Broncos to play tonight, but that doesn't belong here, so I better get out before I keep talking about it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for riding with me. Bye, guys.
Houston, see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army, we soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. 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 You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man I swear I think they like my Colorado 